So, continuing with that story, uh, there's some more important information. Eleven of the victims were black. All two were white. Thirty said so. What was it? There were some damage on both sides. On Wednesday, New York Attorney General Letita James said her office would investigate Discord, Twitch, 4chan, and other platforms that the shooter used to amplify the rampage. So just more investigations of these technology companies that uh, may have caused or more of the attack or may have been able to prevent the attack if knowledge was known. My office is launching investigations to the social media companies that the Buffalo Share used to plan, promote, and stream a terror attack, she said on Twitter. Uh, yep, so we'll just be looking at those. Those actions and words that are said before the attack took place. This terror attack revealed the depth and dangers of these platforms that spread and promote hate without consequence. We are doing everything in our power to stop this dangerous behavior now and ensure it never happens again, she added. So yeah, just trying to um, help from more terror taking place or you know, just some more negativity. Um... Police or crimes we could admit it if they could be stopped by with knowledge of the, from these social media companies. Okay, so I like to talk about the intense fight around several tests as Zelensky says Donbass is held. Intense fighting has been reported around the Ukrainian city of Severon Tesk as Russian forces appear to be stepping up an offensive against those Ukrainian defenders. So yes. Like Russia is pushing forward Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky said the eastern provinces of Luhansk and Donetsk previously collect, you know, known collectively as the Donbass war being turned into hell and warned that what he called the final stage of the war would be the bloodiest. It looks like the war will come to an end, especially if Russia can conquer the Donbass. It's possible that they won't push any much further west. In Donbass, the occupiers are trying to increase pressure there. It's hell, and that's not an exaggeration. Zelensky said the brutal and absolutely pointless bombing of Severon Donetsk. Twelve dead and dozens wounded in just one day. The bombing and shelling of other cities, the air and missile strikes of the Russian army. All this is not just hostilities during the war. So yeah, I mean, twelve dead in the last day is just a terrible stage of the war. According to multiple sources, Russian troops were pushing west of the Russian-occupied town of Popansa and also attempting to gain ground to the north of Severon Dantes. Um, advancing more than 10 kilometers in, in at least one region, with residents fleeing under shell fire. Focus of the main Russian advance appeared to be the town of Solidar, amid speculations that the initial aim was to cut one of the main supply routes. 2,000 Ukrainian defenders were outnumbered by Russian forces, so yeah, under Russian control. Severon, Dantes, and the Ukrainian forces there are particularly vulnerable with Russian forces threatening from three sites, and the operation would put one of the remaining areas of the living region under Ukrainian control. So, yeah, Russia could make an advancement there. According to the governor of Donetsk, Pavlo Kurlenko, the city of Bakhmut to the west of Popansa, has been under constant airstrikes with Russian troops approaching the town. So, on Donetsk, 
also came under heavy attack. It's where Alexander struck. Said 12 civilians have been killed in the past day, and up to 15,000 civilians were sheltered in the city's bomb shelters. So yeah, 15,000 people waiting in bomb shelters would be destructive if um, Russia did control several and Donbass. Russian army has started very intensive destruction of the town of Severon Dantes. The intensity of shelling doubled. They are shelling residential quarters, destroying house by house. Thanks, Governor Churid Hadai said via his Telegram channel. Yeah, so just this destruction of Severon Dantes is very large at the moment. We do not know how many people died because it is simply impossible to go through and look at every apartment. He said, had I, he said at least three people had been killed when Shelling hit a school in which they were killed. Yeah, so three people died there. Target um, or target for Russia to take over. Ukrainian General Staff said 260 service personnel with bombs from the Kharkiv city area had arrived to replace significant combat losses. Opponent intercepted the newly arrived Russian soldiers as they were shocked by the intensity of the fighting there in comparison with what they had around Kharkiv. So. Difficult fighting conditions in Popanza. Um, British military intelligence said on Friday Russia was likely to further reinforce its operations in Donbass once it finally secured the southern port of city of Mariupol. It seems a week's long siege of Russia's post-secret success, otherwise faltering. Yes, Russia did take control of Mariupol, kind of this that land bridge all the way to Crimea, very far west, honestly, almost. Uh, one of the larger rivers in Ukraine, so that's easier supply routes. It said as many as 1,700 soldiers were likely to have surrendered at the Azovstal steel factory in Mariupol, matching a similar number released on Thursday by Moscow. Yeah, so the Azovstal steel factory is now controlled by Russia. Uh, Ukrainian officials have declined to comment on the number, saying it could endanger rescue efforts. Yeah. Well, we all know now, um, it's a little while ago, but it's new now that um, Russia has taken control of all your Mariupol. The commander of the Azov regiment that has been defending the steelworks said in a video published on Friday that civilians and heavy, fully wounded fighters have been evacuated from the site, giving no further clue about the fate of the rest of its defenders. So, yeah, they're being evacuated, civilians and heavily wounded fighters, but does not look good for the defenders. We have constantly emphasized the three most important conditions for us, civilians, wounded, and dead. We can Colonel Denise Kopenko said in the video showing the heavily wounded received necessary assistance and they were evacuated to the Got some civilians out and going back to Ukraine. The United States Senate has pushed through a $40 billion package of military economic for Ukraine, putting a bipartisan stamp on America's biggest commitment yet. 
during the invasion to painful quagmire from Moscow. So yeah, forty billion more dollars is going to help Ukraine try to defend some of its land. The legislation was approved a six to eleven on Thursday, backed by every voting Democrat, and most Republicans. Package that lets Joe Biden be signed. So we'll see if Joe Biden does sign this forty billion dollar package of aid for Ukraine to defend itself. I applaud the Congress for sending a clear bipartisan message to the world that the people of the United States stand together with the brave people of Ukraine as defend their democracy and freedom by this written statement. Just like Biden will sign that $40 million package um, for the aid to for Ukraine to help defend itself. Zelensky thanked the United States as a demonstration of strong leadership and a necessary contribution to a common defense of freedom. He said in his daily video addressed Ukrainians. So. It's like this will help Ukraine defend itself, this $40 million aid package. Separately, the Russian President Vladimir Putin on Friday said that the number of cyber the foreign infrastructure had increased in the conflict, and that Moscow would need to bolster cyber defense Yeah, Ukraine might be bringing up these um, cyber attacks on Russia. Purposeful attempts are being made to disable the internet resources of Russia's information Ukraine might be doing some more cyber attacks at this time. What we have. today, I want to read some excerpts. The early Cold War in Europe therefore cannot be understood by looking at the policies of either the United States or the Soviet Union in isolation. What evolved on the continent was an interactive system in which the actions of each side affected not only the other, but also the Europeans. The responses, in terms shaped further decisions in Washington and Moscow, it quickly became clear that the American Empire would accommodate Parker then proceeded then would one run by the Soviet Union. As a consequence, most Ukrainians accepted and invited American hegemony, sharing deeply what that of the Russians might entail. This by John Bruce. We now know from rethinking Cold War history in 1997. And then we also have, instead of overturning the international system, many third world nations became its main victims through the extension of Cold War tensions to their territories. The main significance of the Cold War for the Third World and of the Third World for the Cold War seems to me to be this, that the ideological rivalry of the two superpowers came to dominate Third World politics to such an extent that in some countries it delegitimized the development of the domestic political discourse that any state needs for its survival. Odd Arn was that historian international history of the Cold War Diplomatic history from 2000. Let me read the next of today. If this castle of history for progress teaches us anything, it is that man in his quest for knowledge and progress is determined not to be deterred. For the eyes of the world now look into space, to the moon, and to the planets beyond we, and we have vowed that we shall not see governed by a hostile fight of conquest. But by a banner of freedom and peace, we have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but with instruments of knowledge and understanding. Yet the vows of this nation can only be fulfilled if we in this nation are first, and therefore we intend to be first. In short, our leadership in science and, our, and in industry, our hopes for peace and security, all require us to make this effort solve these mysteries. We, chose to, we choose to go to the moon and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because the challenges is one that we are willing to accept and one which we intend to win. It's by Pro President John F. Kennedy, speech given at Rice University in 1962. So today I'd like to read an excerpt. The source of this is um, the Wilfo Tonkin Resolution in 1964. Whereas the United States is assisting the people of Southeast Asia to protect their freedom and has no territorial, military, or political ambitions in that area, 
but desires only that these people should be left in peace to work out their destinies in their own way. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled that the Congress approves and supports the determination of the President as Commander-in-Chief to take all necessary measures to repeal any armed attack against the forces of the United States and to prevent further aggression. I'd like to read another excerpt here. Um, the source of this was by Joe, Country Joe and the Fish, a song titled I Feel Like I'm Fixin' to Die from 1965. Well, come on, Wall Street, don't move slow. Why, man, this is war a go-go. There's plenty good money to be made by supplying the army with the of the trade. Just hope and pray that if they drop the bomb, they drop it on the Viet Cong. And it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven, open up the pearly gates. Well, there ain't no time to wonder why, whoopee, we're all gonna die. Well, come on, mothers throughout the land, pack your boys off to Vietnam. Come on, fathers, don't hesitate, send them off before it's too late. Be the first one on your block to have your boys come home in a box. I'd like to read another excerpt. This, the source of this is from Martin Luther King from 1967. It became clear to me that the war was doing far more than devastating the hopes of the poor at home. It was sending their sons and their brothers and their husbands to fight and die in extraordinarily high proportions relative to the rest of the population. We were taking the black young men who had been crippled by our society and sending them 8,000 miles away to guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in Southwest Georgia or East Harlem. I'd like to read another excerpt. The source of this is Robert F. Kennedy from 1968. For years, we have been told that the measure of our success and progress in Vietnam was increasing security and control for the population. Now we have seen that none of the population is secure and no area is under such control. This has not happened because our men are not brave or effective, because they are. It is because we have not conceived our mission in this war. It is because we have not misconceived the nature of this war. It is because we have sought to resolve by military might a conflict whose issue depends upon the will and conviction of the South Vietnamese people. It is like sending a lion to halt an epidemic of jungle rot. I'd like to read another excerpt. This is from, or the source of this is James Follows, writing about his 1969 draft war experience. Even as the last of the Cambridge contingent was throwing its urine and deliberately failing this colorblindness test, buses from the next board began to arrive. These bore the boys from Chelsea, thick and dark-haired young men, the white proles, members of the working class of Boston. Most of them were younger than us since they had just left high school, and it had clearly never occurred to them that there might be a way around the draft. They walked through the examination lines like so many cattle off to slaughter. I tried to avoid noticing, but the results were inescapable. While perhaps four out of five of my friends from Harvard were being deferred, just the opposite was happening to the Chelsea boys. I'd like to read another excerpt. The source of this is Richard Nixon's address to the nation in 1969. I know it may not be fashionable to speak of patriotism or national destiny these days, but I feel it is appropriate to do so on this occasion. Let historians not record that. When America was the most powerful nation in the world, we passed on the other side of the road, allowed the last hopes for peace and freedom of millions of people to be suffocated by the forces of totalitarian totalitarianism and so tonight to you the silent and so tonight to you the great silent majority of my fellow americans ask for your support let us be united for peace let us also be united against defeat 
because let us understand North Vietnam cannot defeat or humiliate the United States. Only Americans can do that. I'd like to read another excerpt today. The source of this one is by George McGovern from 1972. What I propose is that we spend is that we spend all that is necessary for prudent national defense, and the more I propose that we conserve our limited resources by no longer underrating the appalling waste of money and manpower that has become such a bad habit in our military establishment, by rejecting the purchase of weapons which are designed to fight the last war better, with almost no relevance to today's threat, by refusing to maintain extra military forces that can have no other purpose than to repeat our experience in Vietnam, a venture which nearly... All of us now recognize as a monstrous national blunder by reputating the false world of old discredited myths made up of blocks, puppets, and dominoes. Facing said the real. World of today and the future with multiple ideologies and interests. I'd like to read another excerpt today. The source of this is the War Powers Act of 1973, Section 5b. Within 60 calendar days after a report is submitted or is required to be submitted pursuant to Section 4a1, whichever is earlier, the President shall terminate any use of the United States Armed Forces with respect to which such report was submitted or required to be submitted, unless the Congress, one, has declared war or has enacted a specific authorization for such use of United States Armed Forces, two, as extended by law such 60-day period, or three, is physically unable to meet as a result of an armed attack upon the United States. I'd like to read an excerpt. The source of this is Dwight Eisenhower press conference from March 1954. There is too much hysteria, you know. The world is suffering from a multiplicity of fears. We fear the men in the Kremlin. We fear what they will do to our friends around them. We are fearing what unwise investigators will do to us here at home. As they try to combat subversion or bribery or deceit within, we fear depression, we fear the loss of jobs, all of these with their impact on the human mind makes us act almost hysterically and you find the hysterical reactions. I'd like to read an excerpt. Um, the source of this is John Foster Dole's The Secretary of State from June 1954. If world communism captures any American state, however small, a new and perilous front is established which will increase the danger to the entire free world and require even greater sacrifices from the American people. The situation in Guatemala has become so dangerous that the American states could not ignore it. At Caracas last March, the American states held their 10th Inter-American Conference. They then adopted a momentous statement. They declared that the domination or control of the political institutions of any American state by the international communist movement would constitute a threat to the sovereignty and political independence of the American states endangering the peace of America. I'd like to read another excerpt. The source of this is the Saturday Evening Post from October 1956. On last June 29th, with President Eisenhower's signature, one of the most astounding pieces of legislation in history quietly became a law. Public Law 627 represents such a monumental conception of National Public Works, that it accomplishment will literally dwarf any previous work of man. The new title, the National System of Interstate and Defense Highways, tells the story of the road network, which will receive the major portion of the brave new effort to get this country out of its national traffic jam. The interstate system is the 40,000-mile network of existing roads, which comprise our trunk-lined highways. It connects 209 of the 237 cities having a population of 50,000 or more and serves the country's principal industrial and defense areas.
I'd like to read another excerpt. The source says, a special message to Congress from President Eisenhower on education January 1950. Because of the national security interest in the quality and scope of our educational system in the years immediately ahead, however, the federal government must also undertake to play an emergency role. The administration is therefore recommending certain emergency federal action to encourage and assist greater effort in specific areas of national concern. These recommendations place principal emphasis on our national security requirements. If we are to maintain our position of leadership, we must see for to maintain our position of leadership, we must see to it that today's young people are prepared to contribute maximum to our future progress. Because of the growing importance of science and technology, we must necessarily give special, but by no means exclusive, attention to education in science and engineering. I'd like to thank you all today for allowing me to achieve 100 listens here on my Jack 11111112 podcast. And... We're on episode six recording now, and we'll see. Um, there's five episodes available now. This will be the sixth, and yeah, thank you all for listening for what I've been recording, and I hope to see you all with more um, more episodes and more things that I'll be recording. Inaugural address, um, reading coming soon. So yeah, thank you for listening to my podcast. I'd like to read an excerpt today. The source of this is President John F. Kennedy's inaugural address in January 1961. Let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Applying to those nations who would make themselves our adversary, we offer not a pledge but a request that both sides begin anew the quest for peace before the dark powers of destruction unleashed by scientific by science engulf all humanity and plan or accidental self-destruction. We dare not tempt them with weakness, for only when our arms are sufficient beyond that we can be we dare with for only when our arms are sufficient beyond doubt can we be certain that they will never be employed, but neither can two great and powerful groups of nations take comfort from our present concern. But neither can two great and powerful groups of nations take comfort from our present course. Both sides overburdened by the cost of modern weapons, both rigidly alarmed by the steady spread of the deadly atom, yet both racing to alter that uncertain balance of terror that strays the hand of mankind's final war. I'd like to answer today the sources is President George Washington's neutrality proclamation in April of Whereas it appears that a state of war exists between Austria, Prussia, Sardinia, Great Britain, and the United Netherlands of the one part and France on the other, and the duty and interest of the United States require that they should, with sincerity and good faith, adopt and pursue conduct friendly and impartial towards the belligerent powers. I have therefore thought fit by these presents to declare the disposition of the United States to the conduct aforesaid towards those powers respectively, and to exhort and warn the citizens of the United States carefully to avoid all acts and proceedings whatsoever which may in any manner tend to contravene such disposition. Excerpt. The source of this one is from the Treaty of Greenville from August 1795. The between the United States of America and the tribes of Indians called the Wayandots, Delawares, Shawnees, Ottawas, Chippewas, Potawatomis, Miamis, Little Rivers, Uyas, Kickapoos, Yankshawas and Kashish Kas 
Article 1, henceforth all hostilities shall cease and be established and shall be perfected, and no further complete intercourse shall take place between the United States and Indian tribes. Article 4, in consideration of the peace now established, the United States will relinquish to all other Indian lands northward of the River Ohio, eastward of the Mississippi, and westward and southward of the Great Lakes in the waters uniting them according to the boundary line agreed upon by the United States and the King of Great Britain in the Treaty of Peace agreed between them in the year 1783. Article 5. To prevent any misunderstanding about the Indian lands relinquished by the United States, the meaning of that relinquishment is this. The Indian tribes who have the right to those lands are quietly to enjoy them, hunting, planting, and dwelling thereon, so long as they please without any molestation from the United States, but when those tribes or any of them shall be disposed to sell their lands or any part of them, they are to be sold only to the United States, and until such sale, the United States will protect all the said Indian tribes in the quiet enjoyment of their lands against all citizens of the United States, against all other white persons who intrude upon the same. And the said Indian tribes, again, acknowledge themselves and all their people to be under the protection of the said United States and no other power, whatever. I'd like to read an excerpt today. The source of this is the letter from Thomas Jefferson to James Monroe, who was the United States Minister of France in September 1795. Mr. Jay's treaty has at length been made public, so general bursts of dissatisfaction never before appeared against any transaction. Those who understand the particular articles of it condemn these articles. Those who do not understand them minutely condemn it generally as wearing a hostile face to France, this last of the most numerous clause, comprehending the whole body of the people, who have taken a greater interest in this transaction than they were ever known to do in any other. As in my opinion, completely demolished the monarchical the Chamber of Commerce in New York against the body of the town, the merchants in Philadelphia against the body of the town, and all. Commerce in New York against the Wadi Town, Nations in Philadelphia against the Wadi Town, also and our town of Alexandria have come forward to make support. I'd like to read an excerpt. The source of this is James Paul Cathcart, United States Consul Tripoli, letter to the Secretary of State in May 1800. The only conclusion which can be drawn from the Bashwaz, the Pasha of Tripoli, which is Yusuf Karamali, Proceedings is that he wants a present, and if he does not get one, he will forge pretenses to commit depredations on the property of our fellow citizens. His letter to the president will be means of keeping him quiet until he receives an answer. I therefore can see no alternative but to station some of our frigates in the Mediterranean. Otherwise, we will be continually subject to the same insults which the Imperials, which is Austria-Hungary, Danes, Swedes, and Ragusians. Modern, um, the region of modern-day Croatia have already suffered and will continue to suffer if they do not keep a sufficient naval force in the sea to protect their trade. Um, so an excerpt today. Um, this, this one is Secretary of the Treasury Alexander James Dallas in the exposition of the character of the war between the United States and Great Britain from 1815. The United States had just recovered under the auspices from the ability which the revolutionary struggle had produced, and the convulsive movements of France excited throughout the civilized world 
the mingled sensation of hope and fear, of admiration and alarm, the interest which those movements would in themselves have excited was incalculably increased. However, as soon as Great Britain became a party to the first memorable coalition against France and assumed, assumed the character of a belligerent power, the difference of the scene would no longer exempt the United States from the evils of the European conflict. On the one hand, the government was connected with France by treaties of alliance and commerce, and the services which that nation delivered to the cause of American independence. On the other hand, Great Britain, leaving the treaty unexecuted, forcibly retained the American post on the northern frontier in slighting overtures by diplomatic and commercial relations of the two countries upon a fair and friendly foundation to contemplate the success of the American Revolution in a spirit of unextinguishable animosity. Secretary of State John Quincy Adams addressed the the Committee of the Citizens of Washington on the occasion of reading the Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1821. American, the Assembly of Nations, since her admission among them, has invariably, through often fruitlessly, held forth to them the hand of honest friendship, of equal freedom, of generous reciprocity. She has uniformly spoken among them. Though often the heedless and often the disdainful ears, the language of equal liberty, of equal justice, and of equal rights, which has in the lapse of nearly half a century without a single exception respected the independence of other nations while asserting and maintaining her own. She has abstained from interference in the concerns of others, even if conflict has been for principles to which she clings as to the last vital drop that visits the heart. But she goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. She's a champion and vindicator only of her own. She well knows that by once enlisting under others' banners than her own, were they even the banners of foreign independence, she would involve herself beyond the power of extrication in all the wars of interest and interest of individual of various envy and ambition, which assume the colors and assert the standard of freedom. The fundamental maxims of her policy would insensibly change from liberty to force. She might become the dictatress of the world. She would be no longer the ruler of her own state.
I guess, one of the factors for less growth, especially if you have less resources. There were less megalodon, and maybe could have caused that extinction. Like great whites today, they likely fed on large fish. The smaller sized great whites did not require as much food as megalodon did, so they would have the competitive advantage they're feeding on small prey items. Griffin said via email. So, yeah, like the great white, yeah, so this. Requires less resources, so it can live and survive and reproduce with less resources. Before, I just hope you should check out. The study was the first time that zinc isotopes related to die have been proven to preserve in fossilized shark teeth. And yeah, this is going to be something that's going to um, be looked at in future studies. These zinc. 66 and zinc 64 isotopes, just zinc um, isotopes in teeth. A similar technique using nitrogen isotopes to study the dietary structures of other groups of animals is well established. The study said nitrogen in teeth then team doesn't preserve well enough to say animals that was take millions of years ago. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, this is just more of a recent study. This is like around 5 million years ago, instead of like 60 million years ago. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, zinc, you can go to So, yeah. The technique using zinc isotopes could be applied to other extinct animals to understand their diet and ecology. And yeah, that could just really give a lot of answers to a lot of extinction events in the past. So today I want to talk about something, Roosevelt's bar fight. Though it may seem like a typical tale of the Old West, Theodore Roosevelt once found himself in a bar fight in Mingusville. Montana, which is now Wilbox, Montana, 35 miles west of Medora. Roosevelt never specified the exact date of the event, but the incident likely occurred in the summer of 1884. That year, Roosevelt was still relatively unknown in the area and grieving the loss of his wife and mother earlier that year. Roosevelt had been writing for his enjoyment through the Badlands and the prairies of Western Dakota Territory and Eastern Montana Territory for many days when he arrived at the Nolan's Hotel in Mingsville. There he encountered a bully who, like others, had done, who did not know Roosevelt well, teased him about his glasses. Roosevelt described the incident in his own words in his autobiography. It was late in the evening when I reached the place. I heard one or two shots in the bar as I came up, and I disliked going in. But there was nowhere else to go, and it was a cold night. Inside the room were several men who, including the bartender, were wearing kind of smile worn by men who were making believe to like where they don't like the shabby individual in a broad hat with a cock gun in each hand was walking up and down the floor talking with strident profanity he had evident been shooting at the clock which had two or three holes in its face as soon as he saw me he hailed me as four eyes in reference to my spectacles and said four eyes is going to treat i joined in the laugh and got behind the stove and sat down thinking to escape notice he followed me however and thought and though i tried Passed it off as a jest. This merely made him more offensive, and he stood leaning over me, a gun in each hand, using very foul language. In a response to his reiterated command that I should set up the drinks, I said, Well, if I've got to, I've got to, and rose looking past him. As I rose, I struck quick and hard with my right, just to one side of the point of his jaw, hitting with my left as I straightened out, and then again with my right. He fired the guns, but I do not know 
whether this was merely a convulsive action of his hands or whether he was trying to shoot at me. When he went down, he struck the corner of the bar with his head. If he had moved, I was about to drop on my knees. But he was senseless. I took away the gu his guns, and the other people in the room were now. Who I took away his guns, and the other people in the room who were now loud in their denunciation of him hustled him out and pulled him in the. I took away his guns and the other people in the room who were now loud in their denunciation of him hustled him out and put him in the shed. By the next morning, the bully had left town on a freight train. Before coming to Dakota, Roosevelt was a successful boxer at Harvard. Roosevelt maintained interest in various martial arts throughout his life, including judo, kendo, jiu-jitsu, boxing, and wrestling, practicing many of them at the White House. Alright, so there's some an article I want to share to you all today. I'm proposing to warning sign clouds checking the Supreme Court victory. Understandable crowing from the Czech lobby over their five to four win against Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton of the Supreme Court this week controls an uncomfortable factor industry. This is the closest days than expected. On Tuesday, the court granted an emergency stage for Texas law that bars online platforms from restricting user posts based on their political views. Blocking the law from seeking effect while lower courts decide on its constitutionality. That's what social media companies which have argued the law violates their First Amendment rights to control what content they publish before and expected. The lobbyists had suggested for weeks that Justice Samuel Alito, who has a history of favoring the First Amendment rights of powerful corporations and moneyed interests, would be unwilling to offend precedent simply to stick it to the tech platform. His dissent from the court's decision to block the Texas law HB20 doesn't bode well for the richest and most powerful companies on the planet. It's not at all obvious how our existing precedent to predate the age of the internet should apply to large social media companies, Kamita wrote in the dissent. He claimed at another point that whether applicants are likely to succeed under existing law is quite clear. Alito was joined in the dissent by Justice Clarence Thomas, unsurprising given his past comments on sexual regulation and Neil Gorsuch. Justice Alina Kagan also dissented from the decision, but separately and while she didn't explain the reason many observers saw her vote as a protest against the tech lobby's use of its court data docket. Matt Stewart, the president of the Computer and Communications Industry Association, one of the two tech industry scientists that prevailed on Tuesday, said Alito's hedging suggests he could still decide in favor of the tech industry is more likely when the Supreme Court is asked to rule on the Texas law's constitutional merits. I can't recall the last time I saw the Supreme Court justice reiterate that he has not formed a definitive view. The tours calling Alito's statement a caveat with its own postal code. But Jeff Costa, a professor of cybersecurity law at the United States Naval Academy and an expert on the First Amendment, and online speech that Alito's dissent suggests white attendees could be preparing to target precedents that previously upheld the speech rights of corporations, and particularly the tech companies, which have increasingly angered conservatives. We were seeing, at least with the weak draft of Roe vs. Wade being overturned, that Supreme Court precedent can be pretty radically subconscious. Pam Candub, a former Trump administration official who supports the Texas law, agreed that change is on its way. Axiomatic any restriction on businesses that approach the federalist society judges are stating past in the face of the right anti-tech animus. We have a different dynamic working now. 
Sam Dub said, noting that the whole conservative movement is facing the same question. Of course, Texas still lost on Tuesday, and given the current contours of the Supreme Court, may lose on the merits once the case returns to the Supreme Court of the United States. Many expect it will want the Fifth Circuit rules on the law's constitutional merits. Stewart rejected the notion that the Supreme Court's conservative block Republican claims as using the lower courts would be willing to throw out decades of precedent regarding how the First Amendment applies to corporations. I'm not persuaded that there's anything more than a small minority in the judiciary who's willing to do that, he said. The courts have said the justices may see no contradiction in guiding speech protections for tech platforms while continuing to uphold them for other businesses. I think it's very specifically focused on big tech. He said, noting that judges have so far refrained from questioning established precedent around campaign financing or whether corporations are legally useful. This is very much results-oriented issues that they're looking at consistent. And the result is that they want to have some government oversight and control big tech companies. For now, at least technologically, they still have the upper hand and they stop at anyone who suggests otherwise. If all you can hang your hat on is a three-justice statement that explicitly characterizes itself as not being a definitive view that doesn't meet any meaningful definition of a victory, Stewart said. But Kansas is confident that the Supreme Court's conservative justices and the right-leaning judiciary more generally is evolving when it comes to tech platforms and First Amendment. And the former children superstar Silver Lightning, Tuesday, Lizard, and Moss were going to live quite another day. Is my take from it, he said, there's no reason to give up now. Anyway, so I want to share something today from NBC News. Bruce Solar, Biden looks the other way on potential Chinese trade violations. Washington, facing paralysis of the United States solar industry, President Joe Biden has ordered that potential trade violations by Chinese solar panel manufacturers will require for the next two years, sidestepping a law Congress passed to strengthen United States workers. Biden moved Monday to the new tariffs on the solar panels also took the piece out of an investigation by the Commerce Department that was required by law. The Biden administration had previously tried to avoid interference and was supposed to be an independent quasi judicial process. The investigation will go on uninterrupted. The Commerce Department said Monday that nobody will be punished. Senior Biden administration officials described the move to suspend the tariffs as creating a bridge, temporarily allowing clean. Temporarily allowing cheap form solar panels to flood into the United States to speed the transition to clean energy while using those two years to ramp up a flood the United States solar manufacturing industry. This year, Biden must declare an emergency to justify sidestepping the tariff law. In this case, the emergency is a threat to the availability of sufficient electricity generation capacity to meet decided consumer demand. White House Press Secretary here. So Monday, the move brings to an abrupt, unexpected end of growing fight over the tariffs. The solar panel installers and climate activists accusing the Commerce Department of nearly capacitating an industry that's critical to the Biden administration's goal producing only 10 hours per by 2035. Solar power has always made for messy trade pockets in the United States. Solar panel installers who benefit when they can show customers the cheapest panels possible are often on the opposite side of major issues with solar panel manufacturers who can't compete with cheap imported products. These low prices are subsidized by foreign governments like China. More than 80% of the panels in the United States are imported from overseas, according to the United States Energy Information Administration, including using also Vietnam, Malaysia, and Thailand. 
In this case, the Commerce Department was forced to open the investigation after Austin Solar, an obscure solar panel manufacturer in California, filed a complaint alleging that China was illegally circumventing existing tariffs and leveling the playing field for United States manufacturers. Austin's complaint, which echoed an earlier failed complaint from an anonymous group of solar panel makers, alleged that any state supported solar panel manufacturers have been moving the factories from Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand, and Cambodia. That way, the complaint alleged that they can claim the panels weren't made in China to avoid the United States tariffs. The products allegedly still subsidized by the Chinese government then get dumped onto the United States market prices far below what they cost the United States solar panel makers to build. The investigation raised the prospect that solar panels imported from those countries could be slapped with new high tariffs retroactively if they're that industry experts say a fair shilling effect that has driven major new solar installations close to zero. Solar panel installers and his client groups cried foul and assisted the Biden administration to step in, threatening Commerce Secretary Dino Raimondo, whose job is to help drive United States economic growth into the uncomfortable position of overseeing a probe by critics that was crippling the solar industry. For weeks, Raimondo insisted she couldn't interfere. Our hands are very tight here, Raimondo told Congress at a budget hearing in April. An administration official familiar with Raimondo's involvement said that entirely Raimondo never pushed for an investigation or directed it. But that she had taken steps to enforce the statute Congress had passed. Throughout that period, Raimondo's public promise remained focused on the administration's clean energy goals and growing the United States solar industry. Biden's move Monday effectively takes the issue off the table for two years by ensuring no new solar tariffs on the Southeast Asian countries, regardless of what the investigation determines. Assistant Commerce Secretary Lisa Wayne said that if the investigation finds the tariffs are in order, the system after a two year period, Armand Rashid is Executive Officer Action blasted Biden for significantly interfering in the investigation and questioned whether the president had acted illegally. He had opened the he has opened the door wide for Chinese funded special interests to see the fair application of the United States law. Ramondo responded to the announcement by calling imported solar panels an important component to addressing the immediate demands of bringing additional energy sources online. I remain committed to upholding our trade laws and ensuring American workers have a chance to compete on a level playing field, he said. Senator Jared Brown, Democrat from Ohio, a cause advocate for the United States manufacturing workers' rights, pressed the Biden administration not to let politics get in the way of carrying the investigation forward. If undue political influence on this case is allowed to prevail, it would lead to more risk and vulnerabilities tomorrow by signaling that United States trade laws can be undermined through. Aggressive political lobbying. Brown and four other Democrat lawmakers wrote to Biden last month. On Monday, Brown avoided criticizing Biden's move, but said the fact that the vast majority of solar panels are still imported has to change. We have not invested in building up American capacity the way we should. We have not addressed China's repeated cheating. Brown sent a statement. On all these decisions, American solar manufacturers and the workers must be at the table.